You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to Jeremy Foster on the topic of cross-functional collaboration, do's and don'ts. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Asher, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you? Doing well. Glad to be here. Super. I know we tried a couple of times and you got busy and stuff, but I'm really glad that you're here because of the topic that we want to discuss. And I'll give a little bit of context to the audience and why we're talking about this specific topic. But before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are? Well, it's a long story, really. But the net of it is, I guess I ended up working in IT, computer science major, graduated in 01, you know, probably the worst time in the world to graduate with a computer science right as the as the bubble was bursting yep. and figured out how to go from writing code to getting into uh, sales. And ultimately, I've been with a lot of smaller companies and then more recently, some, some large companies around HP in the last 13 years at Cisco and has been a lot of fun. I currently lead um, the vice president of the cloud infrastructure and software group, which is Large organization, you know, ten billion dollar top line number, one point five billion dollars in software, covering all the things that a lot of customers would think of from a data center technology perspective. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a good run. You know, I spend a lot of time out in the woods here in, in Missouri with my with my three kids and half a dozen dogs and and my amazing wife. Super, super. No, this is great. Interestingly. In 2001, I migrated to the country to go start my computer science degree. <laughs> that was a good time to start one. Not a great time totally. to graduate and look for a job. So you timed it a lot better than I did. Totally. Well, as they say, it's better to be lucky than to be good. So, you know, a lot of things have happened, at least in my life, that I would I feel pretty blessed about and that I feel pretty lucky for. But let's dive into the topic. And so for the audience, the reason why we are talking about cross-functional collaboration is because inevitably when you are an exec and are trying to become a super exec, one of the things you need to get really, really good at is cross-functional collaboration at scale. It is my personal belief that the level of exec that you'll become is directly proportional to the level of execs you can support, whether it's emotionally support or functionally support or, you know, just just be in person. But the level of person that you can support is the level that you'll rise to because it is a massive group effort and there's lots of cross-functional activities that need to be aligned and they have to come together to make it a success for everybody. And so I'm super fortunate to have Jeremy on the phone with us today so we can actually discuss this topic and go into a little bit of detail and take his lessons learned. And hopefully for all of you all, you can take some takeaways and apply them and make your executive experience even more fulfilling. So Jeremy, lead us with like the basics of cross-functional collaboration and then guide us to the conversation, please. Well, I, think, I think what you said there was actually really important just to start at the beginning, which is these are behaviors that sometimes you may instinctively have, but they're also things that as you grow as in your career, you can get better and better and better at. 
And when you look at these large groups and you think about trying to lead through influence, which is what you're really talking about here, when you say, how do I work cross-functionally? Just how do we go solve a business objective? That may make sense to everybody, but it may not be really easy to accomplish when everybody's involved, right? And you learn how to work across these various groups. And I think the first thing you have to do is remember, it's really all about the people. And when you're working with people, you need to be aware of what each group within that team or that virtual team, if you will, uh, what is their understanding of the situation and how are they going to want to get to the goal? Everybody usually wants to get to the goal, right? Everyone understands what success looks like on these big projects, but they don't all have the same incentives to get there. And they may not have all the same background in order to get there. And also they may not have the same resources in order to get there. And so maybe a situation where I'm working with somebody in marketing and marketing is super happy about the project and they don't have any problems, but it might be a situation where, yes, of course, engineering wants to try and get to the goal because ultimately they can sell more things, but it might require them to have to get new people brought into their team that have some new type of talent. And it's going to take them a while for them to build their bench, right? So you have to be able to, to understand each group sort of set the stage in your mind as well about what that all means. And then you can really start to acquire that group and try and lead that group. So I think that's a really key piece of it, right? Being able to use your EQ more so than your IQ is kind of where it starts. Yep, yep, totally. And I would also say that as people, there's lots of listeners, I'll just give some background. There's lots of listeners that are first-time VPs or second-time VPs on this podcast, right? And so as you take on greater responsibility, the greater responsibility comes in the form of cross-functional projects because it's if you had just, let's say, not so great responsibility or just average responsibility, right? You're just always gumping up to become a VP after you're a functional leader, right? And a functional leader is like you have responsibility for a function, the people, the process, the technologies, all of that stuff that a function uses, right? But then after that, you have to graduate to the next level of proficiency which is how do multiple functions come together if your aspiration is to be an an enterprise leader, right? If you don't care about that, that's totally fine too, but you will still need to collaborate with other people because no one person can get success, be successful. You may be successful in the short term, but it's going to be short-lived because the rest of the folks that are your peers or that's truly your team are all going to be aligning on how to be crush it for the entire business versus just crush it for a single function. That's right. And as it, one of the things I think is unique about you know, my current job is it's kind of like being the CEO of the cloud networking and compute cloud and compute businesses at Cisco because I work with all these different groups, which means you got to figure out how to work with marketing to make sure they're aligned with the plan. How does channels involved in working with the plan? So to your point, you never work on any big initiative unless you're hitting all these different silos. Yes. And, and that's where I was going before, right, is to make sure that you understand what the stakeholders actually believe and what they actually care about. Yep. And being aware kind of helps you see around some corners and be prepared for really understanding what you need to do to lead that group. Yep. I would love to just understand, Jeremy, from you, your personal journey as you prepare to become a cross-functional leader, right? Like, I feel like some people just get into it by accident and then they have to become intentional and then some people are just intentional about it. But it's always a super interesting and unique journey either way. So I'd just love to learn a little bit about your personal journey and trying to get how you prepared yourself for this opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. So, I mean, I, I grew up like a lot of other sales leaders in the field selling a bunch of things. 
And then I started to manage kind of a different group just as my first leadership position. And that was really important in terms of understanding people, acquiring the team, just growing in confidence as a leader and being able to to lead a group of people, right? I mean, and but it was a it was a very small group of seven to ten folks. And then I think where the cross-functional pieces really came in, I moved into more of a corporate sales position where I was working with one business unit. And one of the primary functions of and still is in my role today was basically to be able to take what does a customer want for meeting with customers? What does the sales team want? from talking to the field sales team and gathering their feedback, helping basically funnel that back into the business unit that creates the products, if you will, to help them to prioritize what features, functions, roadmap things do we need to build so that we're doing what people want. So ultimately that it's a lot easier to sell when you have a product that people want, right? And then you got to play that role in reverse, which is, well, once they are building the solutions, how do we make sure we build the messaging? How do we make sure that we build the compensation plans around that, the things that you need tactically within the sales organization so that you can amplify the messaging coming out of the business unit so that it lands extremely well with the field, with our channel community, and and of course, most importantly, with customers. And so sitting in that middle was really how I started to get exposed to this. And and, and what you realize quickly is, wait a minute, if I can start to pick up something that's an easy goal to set. And then I can start to align all these pieces, almost none of which at the time, you know, none of them reported to me at the time, actually, you know, then, then now we can actually get some really meaningful things done. So that's how I got into this exposed to this type of, of leadership, I suppose. Super. So do you have a framework that you apply, Jeremy, for your day-to-day? Uh, well, working on these cross-functional type projects. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is, like I say, is that awareness. The second thing is the cadence and communication, which is is really big. And the coaching that I give people around that, once you're aware of the situation, doing what you want to do, now you got to figure out how to acquire that team and make sure that it's, it's constantly in their face. Hey, this is what we're working on. Almost like a project management type skill. In a lot of cases, you you know, if you're lucky enough, you can leverage a PMO to help drive that communication for you. And and the conceptually though, what I because obviously in a group of sales folks, how I try and explain people to do the best practice here in that framework is just know two things, right? Know that audience. In other words, you got to work with engineering like you're working with engineers. You got to talk to marketing like you're talking to marketing, just like you would any good customer. And that's the second piece. Treat them like a customer. Because sometimes, especially for really good folks who have been in sales, been super successful, now they're in a bigger company, now they want to move into this type of a role. I've seen some folks really struggle with that. And ultimately, it comes down to those two things, right? They they see the goal. Everybody agrees with the goal. So they just think everyone's magically going to get there. And so having that awareness, having that communication, and then treating each one of those cross-functional groups like a customer has helped people go, oh, you're, you're right. You know, I can't tell people to do stuff, right? I have to, I have to coach them along. Like I'm going to change the behavior. And that's, what's kind of ironic about it. When you say treat somebody like a customer as sales individuals, we basically pay people to change customers' default behavior. Their default behavior is probably not to buy our stuff. What do we do? We influence them in a way that changes their default behavior. It's a very similar skill set in terms of how to work cross-functionally if you're doing it right. Yeah, I would say like in my experience and working with a lot of other executives too, before you take on a cross-functional role, just make sure that you are functionally performing to your best, right? And it's because when there are more than seven people that you have to work with and they're all your peers, there's lots of interesting dynamics that come into the equation. 
And you always have to understand what you stand for and what you don't stand for, right? Because this is a little bit, we'll go into the values as well. But more importantly, right, like you're going to unintentionally sign up your team to do something that your team may not want to do. And that's why I always say that, like, if you're going to go sign up for a cross-functional role, just make sure that you're functionally pretty solid. And just if you don't feel like you're functionally pretty solid, then just wait, right? There's no rush. Mm -hmm. It is going to come to you. It's just a matter of time, right? Like because businesses grow and situations change and macroeconomic trends put us into places which accelerate learning and experience. And so you are going to be in places and environments where you're going to have to work cross-functionally, whether you like it or not. But just please, please, please do not take a cross-functional role until you're functionally solid and so that when you work with other teams and they ask, make asks for you, you understand how you can inspire your function and operate your function both at the same time to get your part of the the equation completed because it is a give and a get at that level. Exactly. And I think that experience is really important as well. You gotta be real confident in what you're in what you're doing and your ability to deliver things and then also to have the patience that it takes when you move into this type of a role, because like I was highlighting earlier, it's not going to move sometimes as fast as you want to. And as you get better and better at it, you'll start to be able to figure out how to take these groups, put them together for a purpose and a reason, and actually move things along a lot faster than you could have as you matured in the position. Yep. So do you want to tell us some of your battle stories or maybe tell us some of your lessons learned? Yeah, I mean, a, a lesson learned would be one challenge I've, I've caught myself in a few times is you get the group together for a reason and whatever that North Star is that you're working in. And sometimes when you're doing that communication piece, you fall into, oh, somebody's bringing you a problem. You want to help them solve that problem. You solve that problem. You jump back on to whatever your next customer pitch is and three days goes by. And then you realize that you created a problem for yourself because you may have helped that person solve their problem, but you didn't communicate that across the rest of the group. So that communicating in silos can is a trap that you can sometimes fall into. I mean, obviously, sometimes it's okay. It's something super tactical, but you get my point, right? How do you keep people yeah. visible, good visibility across this entire project as you work on it? And that's one that comes to mind in terms of, of potholes that you can, you can hit. I think when you, as a sales leader, I think one of the craziest war stories was the first time we really got into a deep project that involved IT. And you start working off timelines that that come in, you know, time periods like nine months. Yep, <laughs> so yep, yep. you find a problem you want to solve and you go, wait a minute, nine months, right? And, and then you got to start spending dollars. You got to start doing some stuff. It's a little bit different than what you're used to in terms of just moving messaging around and getting things out, and, yep. you know, rolling out a normal type program. So be aware of that. But those things usually are the really important things. So my advice on that one is if you know something's important, you know it's going to move the needle for your business, particularly at a large customer company where you may have products that are still moving and solutions are still moving, like it's perfectly okay. You just have to lean in and get it done. And when you get it done and you see the results, it's super rewarding. I'm going to say something. I'm, I'm just, I literally was just noodling on something as I was talking to you. It almost feels like, like, you know, the folks on the sales side, you know, we always optimize for speed, right? But then the rest of the organization when you get into these cross-functional initiatives you know you're really optimizing for velocity i don't know if that's actually true or not but i, I thought i'd throw this out and just get your reaction to it. i think to some extent it is true everyone in sales has this huge sense of urgency that's how we ended up here and then you get into these cross-functional efforts maybe that's not always the best outcome is, is speed and yep. i think it's a, i think that's a fair that's definitely a fair point 
Yeah, because I feel like like once you start going cross-functionally, everybody just wants to know, is the direction we're all headed in, is it the right direction, right? First, and, and people will like it or not, like, you know, like the non-sales functions are all extremely methodical, right? And I feel like it's actually, it's not feeling like it's true because the sales function is very process oriented because that's how you achieve scale. But the mm-hmm. the rest of the organization is very, is a lot about like, hey, let's just make sure that we are looking at this problem the right way and this is the right direction. And actually, that's where I think the prioritization matrix comes into play. And for those execs who are listening to this call, right, if you don't know what your organization's prioritization matrix is, please, at the beginning of every call with other functional leaders, ask how they prioritize stuff. Because it'll just help you get your initiatives through much, much, much faster. And I think that's actually where, Jeremy, what you were saying, like, over time, you're just going to get really, really good at moving things much faster because you'll just understand how other people run their businesses and their functions and prioritize things. Yep, exactly. A lot of this has to do with prioritization. That's a huge, that's a huge piece. And I think you're right on the on the speed part as well. I mean, being in sales, I'll tell you one book that I really like that I think's helped me out cross-functionally, just maybe my mindset, maybe even overall in my career. It's an old book. I'm in IT, so I know not everyone out here is in, is in IT, but it's called The Goal. It's essentially a book written like a story instead of a technical book about operations and somebody in a manufacturing plant and blah, blah, blah. But it actually was taken and readopted for IT into a book called The Phoenix Project. Either one of them is good. My point is IT is an operations game to a lot of extent. I think cross-functional work is an operational, very heavy game, whether you're setting the North Star, you're understanding what the timeline is and how everybody's going to execute against it, how you feel this project is going. Well, it's not about how I feel about this project going, but is this following the plan that I've set forward and how far are we? And that's probably about what my reaction or how I'm going to quote unquote feel about it. But yeah, I think that's an interesting one to, to look at if you've never seen it. Super. What about like when executives cross-functionally have to align and get funding? Do you have any stories about that or any recommendations about that? You know what? Boy, the, the funding piece is all over the map in terms of sometimes you're in a project that's going to be well-funded at the beginning. Other times you're in projects that you think are well-funded in the beginning and you get halfway through and you're not. So I think the thing I would say about that is if you're picking up something that's really important, don't ever be afraid to ask for it. The, the times where I've been really successful is when you get in early on a project, you get the resources that you need, you manage them effectively. And there's been multiple times where I've gotten things that were needed for a project where somebody said, we really didn't think you were ever going to get those resources. Yep. Well, you know, we had a good plan. We put it forward. It seemed reasonable. That's We got the resources. Where I think the challenges have, have happened are, you pick something up, somebody else star started and then they leave and then you you get it halfway through and maybe things weren't set up the way you wanted to. So that maybe you don't have all the resources and you're going back and asking for things that a project that's already in motion. That's tough. You know, that's that's when you have most of your challenges is getting through those. No, totally. And the you said something super interesting earlier around leveraging a PMO. You know, a lot of people on this that listen to this may actually not know what a PMO is. You want to share a little bit about like what is a PMO and how do you leverage one for success? It's a project management organization. And I think the way if you don't, you know, if you don't know what they are, imagine a group of folks that are super skilled about helping you lay these types of projects out. They have a lot of experience in that. They can help you understand what you're trying to get done what you're not trying to get done. And I think maybe the most important thing they really make you think about is 
what's in scope and what's out of scope. Because I'm a more creative person, thinker kind of thing. When you start working with one, they ask you all these really great questions about that. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got to, I've got to make sure this is prioritized. I've got to make sure that's not, not in scope. Like we can't do everything. And it really, they can help drive those projects on a day-to-day basis. And for me, you know, certainly before the pandemic, I was traveling three, four weeks out of the month, just kind of getting started on those types of things again here. But, you know, how do you go through a day when you're in a plane and these things need, this flywheel needs to turn when you're not in front of it. And they're the ones that help you turn that on a daily, weekly, monthly cadence. And that's where uh, they're super, super helpful. I'm really glad that you brought up this point because when people become executives, the first thing that they're told is, hey, set the tone of your team, set the culture of your team, set the strategy of your team, right? But I actually think you should figure out how to set the operations for your team first, right? Because the plumbing, the what people do each day, how they're going to spend their days, what is that rhythm of your your own business, right? How is that going to get orchestrated? At that point in time, if you are able to get a program manager or even a project manager, actually a program manager is somebody who handles multiple projects, right? But if you can get a program manager attached to your group, those people are such a big unlock in an increase in productivity because then they focus on getting the analytics, the reporting, the making sure the right materials get to the right people, the escalations are handled properly, and they completely yeah. unlock your resources from doing admin work, which they should not be doing at all. Yeah, That's right, 100%. So yeah, now, best of luck to everybody on how they finagle a program manager because those resources are required by any and everybody and the highest highest ranking people always get them first. So, you know, that that if anybody actually knows, if you're listening to this podcast, you figured out how to get program management <laughs> resources all around the organization, please drop us a note and give us that tidbit because I found that it's just like data resources Program management resources are very hard to come by for a long period of time. For a short period of time, everybody will give them to you. Right, right. Yeah, well, you can't have mine because exactly. they're absolutely great. So that's not the answer you're looking for. Totally. <laughs> Super. So other tidbits of advice, Jeremy, as you've helped and worked on transformation projects around the company? Oh, one one thing, I think we probably hit on this topic a little bit indirectly, but we get involved, you know, these third parties, other groups external to your organization that you're going to work with in the project management kind of triggered that, right? Because sometimes they may be an example of that, but so are external partners. Like for us case, we work a lot with channel partners and channel partners is an external organization. We work a lot with suppliers. I mean, you get that whole thing. So some of those folks will end up playing roles here. And one thing I'll say is if you can find, like in our case, our channel partners are some of our most trusted advisors, and they're fantastic. They're super close to the customers. They're really interested in, in things that we're doing and we're building. And so, for example, a best practice we have is a lot of times before we roll products out, we're not just going to sell them to customers, right? So we're working with our channel partners before anything's ever released in terms of testing, getting feedback, understanding about how we can help them take this thing to market as well. And so if you can have in your situation something similar to that, like a third-party entity that can help give you feedback on the solution or thing you're looking to bring to market, I think that's another great way to get really good feedback from people who aren't in the Borg in some of these larger organizations who have no problem giving you that candid feedback because that's a really, really important piece. And overall, just as a sales leader, surround yourself with people who give you really good feedback, not meaning it gives you 
good feedback all the time, meaning give you the actual real feedback. And that will help you in these cross-functional teams that will help you in, in your own personal development as well. Because when everybody tells you you did stuff great all the time, that's probably not true. And it's also not super helpful. Yes, totally. And the framework that I use is when I ask for feedback, I will actually just politely ask the person who's asking for feedback to just think about it and just drop me a note yeah. so that it takes away the pressure from, from that situation where the other person is like, oh crap, like now I actually have to be thoughtful about something and I have to give it to them now. But if you take the pressure of the situation away and just give them some time, you'll see, and actually this is a pretty good test too. The people that really care about you will actually follow up on that. The people that forgot, then they forgot. You know, that, that just yeah. means you have more relationship building to do there. If you want to stick around and do something amazing with an awesome group of people. That's right. And I think it's really hard to ask for feedback in groups. I mean, there's a lot of data that says that's a poor idea. In small groups, if you have those right people on your team that you know you can go to to get the real scoop, even in a group, it's awesome to have leaders like that because they can kick off the conversation for you. You can get real-time feedback that's going to be a lot more honest from three or four people. And obviously, this is a group I'm saying you trust and you work with all the time, not one you just met before the the, the call or the pitch or whatever you were doing. But yeah, I, I like the idea on feedback. We kind of have some really good processes that we use for that as well to make it more, you know, take the stress out of that direct communication if possible. But I also really encourage that direct communication and feedback. Feedback is a gift. So sometimes, you, you know, you've got to be able to give it to folks to make them think critically about what they're doing and how to improve. And I think ultimately that's what everybody wants to be able to do is get a little bit better every day. Because if you're not getting a little bit better every day, you're getting worse. This is what they used to tell me all the time. So I think that's, I think I kind of subscribe to that. Super. Well, this was great, Jeremy. I know you already shared a book with us earlier on, but let's move to this part of the podcast where we always ask people... If there's two or three other people in go-to-market or data science, especially in B2B tech, that you would recommend we bring onto the show? Do you have a couple of people that you admire and respect that we should invite onto the show? Yeah, you know, one that's interesting when you say that the mix between go-to-market and data science is actually a gentleman by the name of Stephen Orbain, who works with AWS. He wrote a book, Ahead in the Cloud, and it's kind of a good story about how they started to put their business together and build these best practices for how to move the future of IT forward in terms of some of the services they offer. And I believe he's still there as well. So that was, that's one that kind of talks a little bit about you know, using the data as well as what's going on from how does sales get involved in, in creating this new, uh, not only go-to-market, but just this whole new motion around cloud, which was interesting. Super. I'd give a shout out to Cynthia Johnson, certainly over at ServiceNow. She's uh, was worked with her for the better part of a decade here at Cisco, and I think does a fantastic job about all this cross-functional collaboration stuff that we talked about today. She's she's an absolute pro on that topic, as, as others, I'm sure. And one of the folks I've been impressed with lately is just what's kind of going on with, uh, with HashiCorp and how they're moving from this open source to their IPO this year. And Brandon Sweeney over there, who's leading their, their sales organization, is doing some really, really cool things. Super. Well, thanks for those. Well, this has been fantastic, Jeremy. We definitely covered a few topics around awareness, around cadence and communications, around how do you actually effectively leverage a PMO, the give and gets, and, and being cautious and respectful about that. Any closing comments from you? No, this was great. I really appreciate it. It was a fun experience, and thank you for having me on.
And best of luck to all the listeners out there. If you want to reach out to me, LinkedIn's a great way to do it. It's Jeremy Foster, Cisco, and, and I'm the only one that pops up. So look forward to connecting with any of the listeners out there. Well, thanks a bunch, Jeremy, and best of luck in your journey. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 